0: The crowd was packed into the theater located at 1697 Broadway in the heart of New York City. The man on stage, Ed Sullivan, hosted the premier TV show of his day. Before Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien, David Letterman, or even Johnny Carson, America had Ed Sullivan. And tonight, December 14th, 1969, a band that had just released a popular single was appearing for the first time on his show. This band was discovered by Diana Ross, and they ended up getting pretty famous. You see, tonight was the first appearance of The Jackson Five. For what it's worth, they performed Stand, I Wonder Who's Loving You Now, and I Want You Back. The Ed Sullivan Show was variety television at its best. Big Bird, as in the Big Bird from Sesame Street, was also on this episode dancing with a group of bird watchers. There was also an acrobatic act from Poland but of interest to all of us is the NASCAR driver who was on the Ed Sullivan Show this same evening. But it wasn't Richard Petty or David Pearson or one of the Allison brothers. No, the NASCAR driver on the Ed Sullivan Show this night was Leroy Yarbrough. In 1969, Leroy Yarbrough had just finished having one of the greatest seasons in NASCAR history. Even today, his 1969 season still holds up as being one of the most remarkable in the sport's history. But sadly, you might not know a lot about Leroy Yarbrough, because less than five years after that episode of The Ed Sullivan Show aired, Leroy would be out of NASCAR altogether. Today on Stagger, we're going to introduce you to one of NASCAR's forgotten legends, as we discuss the rise of Leroy Yarbrough. Turns
1: of blues coming
0: into the front track. Tommy changed the entire
2: throttle system last night, the night before.
0: Welcome to Stagger, where we explore motorsports heroes, legends, and myths. I'm J.D. Smith, and along with my brother, Derek Smith, we are so glad you are checking out our podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the history of motorsports. It's important to us, and if it's important to you too, we ask that you hit subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening to, because we want to preserve these stories. We want to share them, and we hope you'll do the same with other people that you know who like motorsports history in the same way that you do. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Stagger Podcast. And today's episode is going to be a two-parter because there is just so much information about Leroy Yarbrough that we feel needs to be shared. We want to make sure we don't shortchange any of it. So we're going to give you the best story that we can and the most information that we can. Later on in the episode, we're also going to talk with a good friend of ours. He is the mechanical director for Starcom Racing and a guy we've had on our podcast before. He also has the very popular Twitter handle at WrenchTwister00. He is Charlie Langenstein. So we'll talk with Charlie later on in this episode because he has some firsthand knowledge of Leroy Yarbrough. First, let me bring in my brother and fellow motorsports historian, Derek Smith. Derek, tell me what you know about Leroy Yarbrough.
1: If I'm like every other NASCAR fan, racing fan out there, I bet you we're probably gonna say, Oh, Kale's brother.
0: Or Kale's somebody. I thought it was his dad when I first heard yeah. the name. I didn't I didn't I just saw Leroy Yarbrough on some things and mm-hmm. I thought like in, in some old you know, racing reference lists of certain races, and I'd be like, oh, Leroy Yarbrough. He was running around the time Kale. must have been, like, his dad or something. I don't know. I thought maybe See? it was, like, a Lee Petty, Richard a Petty situation. Yeah, relative,
1: right? Yeah. That's the first thing that came to mind.
0: Yeah, and uh, that is completely wrong. There's yeah. there's no relation, as far as we can <laughs> tell, from Kale and Leroy Yarbrough. They're just... They're actually... It appears they were decent friends, by all accounts, and Cale Yarbrough dedicated part of his autobiography to Leroy Yarbrough, like, had some... Wow. Parts of it that he wrote about Leroy in that book. Yeah. Not related at all. He, their names it, are spelled technically differently too.
1: I mean, it, it's wild. I'm trying to think of like, what could be something that would be similar to, but it would be different generations of Rusty Wallace and Bubba Wallace. People may on the surface, maybe 20 years from now, they go, Oh, is he related?
0: They could be father, but, son. Yeah. Like as far as age, they could go. be father,
1: son. Yeah, yeah. By age. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things. Like I can't think of too many, like, Imagine there being another petty P E T T I E with a heart with a heart over it, you know? Like you Yeah, that would be that, <laughs> that would, would be that cool. wouldn't work.
0: Since we didn't know much about him, let me read you a few quotes from a few NASCAR Hall of Famers what they had to say about Leroy Arbro. Right. Uh, here's one. Quote Some people get credit for being a great driver, but there's no question Leroy was right up there with anybody. He wasn't one to bump you to win. He was just a very competitive driver. That was said by Leonard Wood of the Wood Brothers, obviously in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Next up, this quote Leroy had just one speed, wide open. He didn't figure nothing, didn't plan nothing, just ran flat out, laughed after lap. And if he could get by with it, he was up front. If he didn't, he was in the pits. He put everything into that one strategy, full speed ahead. I got that one. Who's Richard that? Richard Petty. That is Richard, that's Richard Petty. Petty. Yep. That's you know why? Because he's
1: talking about his core.
0: Core. core. Talking about his core. Yep.
1: When you, when you, when he said something in the first few lines, I'm like, he read it and just let a little Richard Petty.
0: This one, Leroy had the most raw talent I've ever seen. That's junior Johnson saying that Um, he he said more too. He said he was beyond any other driver. There was at that particular time with taking chances and just going beyond what anybody thought anyone could do. He just outnerved most of the drivers that he ran against. It was Unbelievable. Leroy had no, you might say, respect for fear at all. He just didn't. Whatever it took to beat somebody, that's what he did. He had one thing I've never seen out of any other race driver. He had no fear. It was hard to believe he was as good a driver as I've ever seen come across. That's Junior Johnson, Richard Petty, and Leonard Wood basically saying, this dude was a straight-up badass, and we barely talk about this guy. So today we're going to explore why doesn't anybody talk about Leroy Yarbrough? We're going to talk about him. We're going to tell you all about him. You ready for that?
1: I'm ready. Let's buckle up.
0: All right. Lonnie Leroy Yarbrough was born September 17th, 1938 in Jacksonville, Florida. He had five brothers and sisters. Family ran a small roadside vegetable stand. So not a ton of money, not wealthy, just regular lower to middle class family. He dropped out of school when he was 12 to go find a way to race. Around that time, he was hanging around a garage in Jacksonville, Florida called Moon's Garage, where he found his knack for working on cars. He dropped a large Chrysler engine into an old Ford to build his first hot rod. Not long after that, he started racing whenever he could. According to his sister, whose name is (laughs) Evelyn Motel, said he would use fake names and convince people he was older than he was to go racing. He didn't use his real name to drive until he was 15, and in that race at Jacksonville Speedway... He won. Pete Dexter, who was a writer for Inside Sports, did a feature on Yarbrough in 1980, said Yarbrough could still remember the details of that race many years later. Yarbrough said, quote, The first I knew I had something out of the ordinary when I was 15. I was the biggest hot rodder in West Jacksonville, won my first race in a 1940 flathead Ford, bored out 81 100s with a high compression head. This would have been in 1954, by the way, so you're picturing
1: 20 26 years later he remembers the details
0: yeah yeah and here's the other thing but if you think about that time 1954 i was thinking about this because my wife likes the movie grease which i think took place in the late 50s mm-hmm. so if you think about it that's the time period we're kind of talking about so you know leather jackets slick back hair hot rods like this I could kind of see, like, Leroy Yarbrough looking a little bit like Danny Zuko in Jacksonville. Like, maybe that's kind of the deal he had there, I guess. Maybe that was a little yeah. bit of the vibe, so... Maybe, I like to—I mean, I just like to picture what this looks like, because, you know, now you don't have a lot of people... Well, you do. You have you've guys doing this with Civics and stuff, but you don't have a lot of people taking, like, hey, here's a Ford engine, I'm going to drop in a Chrysler, and go hot rodding you know but that's that's kind of the time frame i think we're looking at there is kind of like a uh, greece era so if that helps you visualize it a bit
1: back in the day i guess you know hot rodders maybe had a little bit more like i just don't think that in 40 years we'll be nostalgic about guys going a quarter mile in this many seconds in their volkswagen jet i'm not i'm not sure i don't, I don't think that'll you. be the
0: live my life one quarter mile of a time Fast and furious,
1: fast and furious. <laughs> fast and furious, fast and furious. Yeah, yeah. I guess oh, we geez. do.
0: We still do have it in some way. What
1: happened to Paul Walker again? Well, jeez, that, that's dark. Uh, is that too soon? Too soon. Yeah. Street, ra- street racing's dangerous. Is all I'm trying to say, people. That's well,
0: yeah, it. Yeah. Street racing's dangerous. That's right. Leroy Yarbrough started racing locally and winning a bunch. He got married to Gloria Sapp in 1956. Now, he would have been 17 or 18 at this time. She was 16. Obviously, it would need to be mentioned here that, you know, at that time, slightly different era, seeing two people in their teens getting married was not completely uncommon. Leroy kept racing and apparently started getting quite a reputation. He took over as a driver at the Jacksonville Speedway, which was actually called Speedway Park. Uh, According to Don Koble, he wrote a feature about Leroy Yarbrough, in 2011, Don Coble writes that Yarbrough got his big break when Pee Wee Hornsby crashed his modified car at Speedway Park in 1959. Yarbrough was hired to replace him, and he went on to win 83 times in the next three years.
1: Three years.
0: 83 wins in three years. Right. I'd say you're you're hauling the mail right there. You're doing all right. Yeah.
1: You're, let's just say there's, uh, I'm going to go really aggressive and say there's 40 races a year. So over three years, that is... 120 races, and he won how many of those races again?
0: 83. So, yeah, if it was 120, I mean.
1: So he won 69% of the races. Nice.
0: (laughs) That's pretty good. The research that I did, I saw multiple stories of racetrack promoters who offered drivers $500 if they could beat Leroy Yarbrough when he came with uh, his modified. So So a bounty. Oh, yeah, they put a bounty on him. They They put a bounty on him. And I was thinking of a modern day equivalent, I guess it would probably be like from the NASCAR side of things. It'd be like Kyle Busch when he runs a truck race. Remember when they had the bounty a few years ago where anybody, but Kyle, right. You know, like AB ABK. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of, that's where he was on a much smaller level, obviously, you know, it's just regional modified shows, but it was technically the NASCAR modified division. So it was, it was still something that was getting his notoriety out there and, and, you know, by this time, he's about 20, 21 years old. He's winning races. He's married. Life is looking pretty good, and it's just starting for him. Uh, 1960, he entered his first NASCAR Grand National Race, a.k.a. the Cup Series, finished 33rd in the Atlanta 500 while driving a 59 Chevy, which he wrecked on lap 60. And this is kind of the first point we need to make about old Leroy Yarbrough. It appears he was the quintessential checkers or wreckers guy. Richard Petty kind of hinted at that in that quote we read earlier. Mm. This is a guy who hung it all out for sure, but you know, all those guys talk about it, he was fearless. He would just drive the wheels off these things. This is a known quality about Leroy Arborough was that he was going to put the car out there and no one else was going to be able to do what he was going to do. Now, he may not make the car last, but he was going to get the most out of it every single time.
1: Almost like a little bit of a of a Reese Bobby situation. yeah. Father of Ricky
0: Bobby. Oh, yeah. Reese. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Reese Bobby. Do I?
1: Yeah, Reese Bobby. I'm, like doing, I'm
0: like doing real research in my head of like, oh, yeah. If you're not first, you're last. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I forgot that his his name is Reese. His name is Reese. Name is Reese really? Bobby. Okay. Reese Bobby. <laughs> you got forgot. Reese and Ricky. Ricky Bobby. Gary, yeah. The, the uh, role played by Gary Cole. Gary Cole's the actual. Gary Cole. My I mean, guy. Lumberg from here. Office Space. Lumberg.
1: It's just the range, man. The range. Oh, of the that. guy
0: has tons of range. He's a, oh, yeah. he's a true hero. I agree.
1: I just know who Ricky Bobby's dad is. Maybe that I'm, was pretty good. Maybe I, I hope I'm, you're,
0: if you're wrong, tweet at us at I didn't
1: know much about Leroy Yarborough, but I knew a lot about Reese Bobby. So <laughs> I hope that that doesn't turn off the purists because that's fine. We're just being it's honest. Okay. We're just it's, being hey, honest. Hey, Bro, no, we're, here to, we're here to learn. We're here to that's learn, right. right?
0: Yeah. In 1960, like I said, Leroy, you know, entered that first grand national race. So Started getting, you know, a little bit bigger, started, you know, going to more NASCAR races. Leroy Yarbrough was definitely pushing himself perhaps a little too hard both on and off the track. This is a quote from a man named Julian Klein, who at one point owned uh, that speedway in Jacksonville where, you know, he ran a lot of races, did Leroy Yarbrough. In the Inside Sports article from 1980 written by Pete Dexter, which I'm going to reference that article a lot more in this episode. I will tweet out the link to it too, but one of the best articles I've ever read in my life, it's called Leroy, He Ain't Here No More. It's unbelievable, but Pete Dexter, Inside Sports, 1980, it's great. Anyway, here's a quote from Julian Klein in the 1980s Inside Sports from Pete Dexter. I carried him to Daytona with his first car. It was obsolete and we was too ignorant to know it. But he came in 13th anyway. After that, we won about every race we went to. But he was getting too big too fast, trying to race too many races, and his wife was already out in the bars with him. Got to where he wouldn't even be on time. We was coming back from South Carolina one Sunday, stop at this place in Jessup, Georgia called The Pig. That's where we'd settle up. And I looked at him and made up my mind to change drivers. I'm 66, been knowing racing all my life. And in his day, I haven't seen nobody any better. But it was time. I didn't tell him right out, knowing Leroy, I thought I'd space it out. I didn't get through saying it till we were back in Jacksonville. He didn't seem to mind like it didn't matter. Leroy Yarborough, from all the research I did, was not shy about the fact that he was pretty good.
1: Some people lot, like that some a lot people, of people hate of that. his age were like that, yeah, that was very much the the, the slick back hair you know the fifties sixties if you're if you got it, you got it and if you don't, you don't hit the road jack and all that.
0: yeah, he's no nah, man he is uh He's not shy about it. He knows he's good, and he knows he's about to cash in. So I think that kind of explains a little bit of his mindset here. 1964, Leroy was about 26 years old here. He was starting to win in the Grand National Division, which, of course, you know, that's the Cup Series now. Actually, in that season in 1964, he had a big wreck at Daytona, where some people say he was lucky to make it out alive. Fred Lorenzen... Larry Frank mm-hmm. and G.C. Spencer all ran to his aid and helped pull him out of his burning vehicle. But, yeah, he was he was in a pretty Just bad record. there. or
1: wreckers, man. Yeah, that it was, was right there, yeah. That was, his, that was his mindset.
0: His first two wins yeah. came in May of 1964, first at Savannah Speedway and then at Greenville Pickens Speedway. This run of success came due to Yarbrough hooking up with Ray Fox, who was a legendary engine builder and car owner, who you might have heard of Smokey Eunuch. You aware of Smokey Eunuch? Oh,
1: might, have, might have heard of him a time or two.
0: Yeah, pretty famous mechanic in his own right. He was famously set up near the Seabreeze Bridge in Daytona, while Ray Fox was set up on the other end of the Seabreeze Bridge in Daytona. So they were <laughs> both pretty good. It wasn't like they were slouches. Obviously, Smokey yeah, Eunuch's pretty... well known, but Ray Fox was really good too. So in 1965, <laughs> Ray Fox and Leroy Yarborough had a problem. They had a meticulously prepared Dodge Coronet ready to race, but that car has a Hemi in it. The same Hemi engine that Bill France had just decided to ban from NASCAR in 1965. So what do they do? They got this fast race car with a badass engine. They don't know what to do with it. So they thought, why don't we try to set the closed course speed record for a stock car? They modified the engine a little bit. They added a little cowling on the hood like you'd see on a dragster that lets a little more air in so they could put a big blower on top. Took it over to Daytona, which, of course, that's where Ray Fox's shop was located. And Leroy Yarbrough got over 181 miles an hour. This is in 1965. 1965. Yep. 181 miles an hour, which was enough for the record. So here's the crazy thing about that story goes out second lap hits 181 point whatever whatever miles an hour to set the record then his car started smoking and so the officials on the track like black flagged him and said you got to go in so he pulls it into the pits there is a quarter inch bolt sticking out of the tire when he pulled into the pits so his car was smoking because the tire was about to go down or some maybe some (laughs) other reason but They didn't know, obviously, that he had a bolt stuck in his tire. But think about that. This guy just went faster than any person had ever gone on a closed circuit in a stock car. And he had at any point a thing that could have exploded his tire and just God knows what would have happened there.
1: It's one I mean, when you think about that, that that's just wild to think that you had a potential puncture issue going on. And nowadays it feels like, hey, there's a little vibration. What should I do? Let's bring it in and get four new tires on. Just be safe. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah maybe this tire was just at a it was starting to cord up or nothing serious but um something that would be a problem 10 laps away And he's setting records at the time 1965 yeah, eight, yeah. 181 miles an hour that's
0: pretty incredible That's insane
1: right? i mean they're going maybe 19 20 miles an hour faster in the draft now
0: and they're not running on like wide slicks i mean they're they've got pretty standard looking similar tires to what they were running on the road cars i mean it yeah, that's a dangerous proposition for sure. It a bias ply tire, I believe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or maybe radials. I don't know. Now, remember when I had said he won two races in 1964? Um, those were not big money races like winning at Daytona or Darlington. The combined purse for the entire field for both races was less than $8,000. What? Combined. For two combined? races, entire field, less than $8,000. So he did win a couple grand national races, but he didn't make any money doing it. But he was gaining experience, running with the big dogs, winning on short tracks. Still, though, the big money was you had to win a super speedway race. Those were kind of the crown jewels of NASCAR at the time. Well, 1966, he finally had that breakthrough, still driving the Dodge for Ray Fox. NASCAR had allowed the Hemi engine back into NASCAR after a one-year hiatus because in 1965... You couldn't get the Hemi engine in a production car. It was just a racing engine. And there were a couple of other engines like that in NASCAR at the time. NASCAR banned all of them and said, if you want these engines in these cars, they have to be in a production car. So did Dodge say, well, let's just dumb this engine down a little bit or take one of our current existing engines and expand on it to get it into a NASCAR stock car? No. They said, hey, what if we dropped a 426 Hemi into a station wagon for, like, regular people? <laughs> it is station wagon. <laughs> oh, dude, they put them in station wagons. They put them in all kinds of cars, man. I mean, they the Hemi was in, like, I don't know, four or five different cars. I wish they had solutions like that. Could you imagine now if it's like, oh, man, they won't let us run this DPI engine for uh, the Rolex 24. What are we going to do? Why don't we throw it in the back of a Honda and see what happens? <laughs> like, Nothing
1: like let's dude, drop it in the back of a station wagon. You know, see what like happens. the
0: difference—the difference in that amount of money, like to go from like a regular engine in some of these cars back in the day to go to getting a Hemi was like twelve hundred bucks at the time, which is like five or six grand now.
1: Yeah, but, but do it's, you know? It's do you know what a numbers for a weekend warrior?
0: Do you know what a numbers matching Hemi anything gets you if it's like in still good condition? Those cars are worth over 100 grand. I mean, it, the HEMI versus not having the HEMI in it is worth 60-70 grand, and at the time it was a $1200 option. It's just oh, Insanity. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I put more crazy engines in regular production cars, please. So, October 16, 1966, the HEMI is back in Leroy Yarbrough's car and he wins at Charlotte. That was his first super speedway race. They considered Charlotte, you know, super speedway back then. Uh, remember when I said the combined purse for those other two races he won was eight grand? Mm-hmm. This purse alone was $65,000. So now we're talking making some real money here. This was a big-time win. This was, you know, not just like, hey, you've won in NASCAR. This is now like you're winning the big-time races in NASCAR. So soon after that, Ford and Junior Johnson come calling. We'll talk about Leroy Yarbrough's partnership with a NASCAR Hall of Famer coming up next, right here on Stagger. Welcome back to Stagger. Now, here's more on Leroy Yarbrough. In 1968, he's now running for Junior Johnson. This is in the aero car era. This is right before. They haven't got yet to the big wing you know, Superbird and road runners that they used to do. But this is right before all that where, you know, Ford's got an aero car. The, you know, Mopar guys have an aero car. This is where we're really getting into the horsepower and the super speedway stuff. So this is the, you know, this is the big deal here for these guys. This is where it really gets going. Unfortunately, in 1968, their season did not get off to a great start. Leroy was leading the Daytona 500 in 1968 when he saw a pit sign being held up for him by his crew. Now, remember, they didn't have radios or you know anything like that back in the day. They were just talking. You know They had to communicate with these signs that they would hold up. So his crew held up a sign for him late in the race that said P1, just letting him know, hey, you've been running out here for two hours. You're still in first. You have passed. You are in first place. Keep going. Well, he didn't understand what that meant. He thought it meant pit. In one lap, I guess. <laughs> so he misinterpreted the sign, pulled into the pits. They're like, what are you doing? Get back out there. Cale Yarbrough came around and passed him. Cale Yarborough won the 1968 Daytona 500. Not to say that he wouldn't have won it anyway, but Leroy Yarbrough was leading the race and pitted unnecessarily. So they knew they were pretty good in 1968, but... Unfortunately, their luck just got worse from there. They had engines blowing. They had accidents. They had overall poor performance. But Junior Johnson said he figured out what the problem was. You know what number they were driving on the car back in that time in 1968? Um, Was it the 69? Nice, but no. Um, No. They they were driving (laughs) the number 26 Mercury at Uh. the time. And Junior Johnson said, you know... 26 is just 13 doubled. So our problem is we got a car with the number 13 on it twice. So Mm. (laughs) he said that was clearly bad luck. They switched the car number to 98. And soon after that, they started rolling. He won twice, did Leroy Yarbrough. He won at Trenton in July and Atlanta in August. But 1969 was his best season ever and one of the best seasons we've ever seen in NASCAR history. Leroy was driving a '69 Ford Torino Talladega. Nice. <laughs> yes, it's 1969. That's the year of the car. I don't know what. Yeah. No,
1: thought. I'm just saying it's not Ford Torino 1969. It is nice. nice. It's
0: nice. They're they're very nice cars. Yeah, very nice. Uh, Leroy won the Daytona 500 in 1969, making a <laughs> making a last lap pass to get the job done over Charlie Glotzbach in what was one of the great finishes in Daytona 500 history. Uh, this was a last lap pass so Leroy Yarbrough got down a few seconds behind Charlie Glotzback because he had to come into the pits and change tires puts a new tire on they actually put it on the inside of the car not the outside you know not the right side they put it in on the left side tires and just on the inside they gave him a different compound the commentators at the time said that's pretty interesting they didn't put it on the outside they put it on the left side that's weird and he goes out there and sure enough he's quick with whatever they did uh he started figuring out the draft he got behind some of these other drivers that were just you know lap cars but he would draft up to them get close zip around him all the while he's taking time off charlie Glotzback. he gets there with a lap to go passes him and then doesn't look back
1: hey yeah, so he gets the win over charlie Glotzback. and pardon me for not knowing charlie glotzbach's last name really but is he much of I mean, have we heard much about him?
0: Charlie Glotzback was charging Charlie Glotzback. And yes, I mean charging was, Charlie Glotzbeck.
1: Yeah, he just This is pat- one like where I, I knew a little bit about Leroy Yarborough, but I don't know much about Charlie Glotzback.
0: That's okay. Well yeah. Charlie Glotzback won, I think, a handful of races, and this was one that he's kind of famous for being right there and just unfortunately losing yeah. the Daytona five hundred, but yeah, he was a he was a very good driver. Just recently, just passed away in twenty twenty one. Believe it or not. Oh, so sorry. Yeah, to hear. yeah. But he no, he he was, uh, yeah, really good driver at this time. You know, not not Richard Petty, but still one of the. You know, not everybody's Richard Petty. He was still really good. So anyway, it was a great finish. I recommend everybody go check out the nineteen sixty nine Daytona five hundred. Go look it up. You can watch that video. It's a really cool pass at the end. But that wasn't all he won in nineteen sixty nine. He won Darlington. He nice. won Charlotte. Both those races nice. were in May. He won Daytona in July, the Firecracker 400. In Atlanta, he won in August. He won in September at Darlington. That would be the Southern 500 in case you keep score. And he also closed it out with a win at Rockingham in October. So all of those big tracks, big money. He won the Daytona 500, the Firecracker 400, the Southern 500, the World 600. I said Charlotte, I forgot to even mention that, you know, the World Coke 600 all that. He won four of NASCAR's crown jewel events in one year. I'm trying to think of anybody that had a season like that.
1: I mean, that's. I don't think that that's been done
0: to Not win one Daytona, year. Firecracker 400, Southern, or the yeah world. Southern,
1: World's, well, I mean, World's you know what you got. Southern.
0: You probably have got like the the uh, Winston Million, right? When when yeah. Bill Elliott, right? When he won that, that was he won Southern 500. He had to win three out of four. I want to say I know he won. Yeah. Da- he won Daytona. Southern 500 and Talladega, right?
1: Yes, I believe. Yeah, I that's think where you got the Winston million dollar brand yeah, down on them.
0: Yeah. Anyway, like Bill Bill Elliott in '85, I think winning the Winston Million maybe comes close, but now this this is still one of the all time great seasons in NASCAR history. He was one of what they called the uh, FOMO co drivers. The Ford Motor Company, Leroy Yarbrough was part of this group, right? This is these are the cats he ran with. These are the other four drivers that Ford employed at this time. Donnie Allison, David Pearson, Cale Yarborough, and Richard Petty. I mean, these these are the guys he was going with. I mean, he was just yeah. out of his mind good. And, and, and at the time, he was viewed as like the best of those guys or one of the best. He had seven Speedway victories in 1969. That season, it almost doubled the most major wins in a single season by any previous driver. He earned $188,000 that season, setting another NASCAR record for the most money earned by a driver in a single season, about $1.5 million in today's dollars. At the end of the year, he was voted the American Driver of the Year, won about every end-of-the-season award banquet there was. Ed Sullivan had him on his show at the end of that year.
1: Oh, then,
0: oh, oh, oh. No, that's right. that. You're thinking of Ed McMahon.
1: Oh. <laughs> Ed Sullivan, Ed McMahon, same thing. They're yeah. both Eds. Oh, it's my fine. gosh.
0: Ed Sullivan was more the, uh, you know, yes, my friend's right over here, now a really good show. That was Ed Sullivan. Anyway, Ed Sullivan Theater. It's where, uh, you know, they shoot the late show, you know, CBS. Oh,
1: yes, 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 Ed yes. Ed Sullivan yes.
0: Theater, right. So yes. the musical guest on that episode that Leroy Yarbrough appeared on was the uh-huh. Jackson Five. You know, oh, like, it's just <laughs> weird to think about the timing of this all, right? Like, but that's, I mean, they were young. This, They had just started, but... That's wow. that's how big he was. You know what I mean? He's on with the Jackson 5 on this big show where everyone's watching in the country. They, This guy was extremely well-known. He was not in need of a paycheck at this point. According to Don Coble, that writer from Jacksonville who did a nice story on Leroy Yarbrough, yeah. he said that Leroy was the first NASCAR driver to have his own plane. Huh. He bought the governor's mansion in South Carolina. Shh. I mean, this dude went from, like, pretty good race car driver to making tons of money. Making bank and spinning it. Let me give you one more story to tell you just how powerful Leroy Yarbrough was. Bill France was opening the new super speedway, Talladega, in September of 1969. You may have heard of Talladega. It's fairly famous. The NASCAR guys, when they ran that track for the first time... It was all hyped up. Everyone knew it was going to be pretty fast, right? Well, they right. found out the tires that they had brought didn't hold up for more than four or five laps at a time before they started shredding. I mm. mean, they were, they were not ready for the speed and the weight and everything else that was happening on this racetrack. So in protest, a bunch of drivers asked Bill France to postpone the race for a few weeks so they could come back with a better tire. Uh, Bill France said no. No. Not doing that. And Richard Petty, who was the head of this group known as the Professional Drivers Association, the the racers union, the PDA. He was in that group. Leroy Yarbrough was in this group, along with most of the other top name drivers. Bobby Allison, who another legendary driver who was also involved in the PDA, was having a talk with Bill France and Leroy Yarbrough at the track about all this. And France basically said, hey, if you're too scared to race, just go home. According to Bobby Allison, Leroy Yarbrough got so mad when Bill France said that, that he walked right up to him and punched him in his face. This is this is big Bill France senior, the guy who started NASCAR. Leroy Yarbrough walked up to him and punched him in the face. And then Hmm. he turned around and said, let's go, boys. And apparently all the drivers were like, yep, we're done. And they all left. They all left the track. (laughs) Now, I try to get I mean, number one, Bobby Allison is on video talking about this. He doesn't blink. He says this is what happened. Richard Petty says he doesn't exactly remember what happened, but he knew it was pretty tense. But no one is out there directly refuting that this happened. So Leroy Yarborough apparently punched Bill France in the face and lived to tell about it.
1: Now I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> no. I can't uh, imagine.
0: You- <laughs> no, to
1: answer your imagine, question, can you imagine Kyle Bush punching Mike Helton in the face? How would that go over? Mike Helton's kind of moved up, but I'm tr- I'm trying to think of like Big Bill was the face, then it was Bill Jr., then it was Brian France, kind of, but it's always kind of been Mike Helton in that realm. Yeah. Now Jim Fr- Jim France is running it, but you know you got Steve Phelps, you got Mike Helton still in the building. I mean Tony Stewart, Kyle Bush, these are guys that you would think would be in this category of getting riled up enough to punch. A NASCAR official, but like the top dog, I still think they'd have thrown him out of the sport.
0: Yeah, I think so maybe too. Maybe different
1: time. It was just maybe a different time.
0: I think so. I think you're right on that.
1: And, um, they, and there probably was NASCAR realizing they, Leroy was kind of right. Like they shouldn't be racing there. It's too dangerous, and they chose money over safety.
0: Well, they did, and they still did run the race. The race was done with like backup drivers and local drivers and guys you know who just kind of were found to say hey you can come race this you've raced other things I want to say the guy who won that race was named like Richard Brickhouse or something like that not not particularly famous outside of that race but Richard Petty actually later said Bill France should have paid them all for the great marketing they gave him because you know when you got all these famous drivers saying oh I won't run Talladega it's too fast what do you think's happening at the ticket office the next year oh they're gonna I gotta buy tickets to that it's the yeah. fastest, craziest, dangerous track. We gotta see that. So of course they sold it. a bunch of tickets.
1: <laughs> it's um, kinda like how like when there's a wreck or a fight now, it's like, you know, that you kind of should pay my fine, Eddie Gossage, because my I sold fight, tickets for you. My fight at an SMI track has given you the footage you need to, you know, market it for your Texas race upcoming. I mean, That's Eddie right. Gossage did that for years. The Bristol helmet throw. I remember going to Kentucky Speedway and there was a helmet. And there was a three-hole punch-out. If you threw the helmet into the three-hole punch-out, which had a number 17 car you know, on the little vinyl thing, it was cut out. If you did that, you got a free hat. And if you did it <laughs> twice, you got a free shirt and a hat. I love and then it. if you got a third one, you got a free ticket to the cup race or something like that.
0: That's pretty it, cool.
1: It was wild. Like, like, And it's just so they market all that stuff for sure. So it's, not, it's something that NASCAR has done for a while, and they continue to do it to this day.
0: Yep, that's right. Let's just understand just how important Le- Leroy Yarborough was. This guy could kind of do a lot of things. He was very powerful in the sport. He was big name. He was winning a lot of races. Everyone knew who he was. And, in fact, NASCAR in 1998, do you remember they put out their 50 greatest drivers of all time? It was the 50th anniversary of NASCAR. He was on yeah. the list. He still is on the list. I mean, they haven't yeah. updated it, but... You know, he's on the list of 50 greatest drivers in NASCAR history as of 1998. I'm quite sure if they do that list now, it looks a little different. But still, yeah. he, he's on there with a bunch of Hall of Famers, but he's not in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So we've told you a lot about who this guy is and who Leroy Yarborough is. But why don't you hear more about Leroy Yarbrough? Well, that's coming up in part two. Dun, so, dun, dun. <laughs> so we will talk about that more in the next episode. But we're not quite done yet on Stagger this week. Wanted to talk to our good buddy, Charlie Langenstein. He's the shop foreman and mechanical director at Starcom Racing. And Charlie has been in the pits for almost 50 years, working on everything from Indy cars to modifieds. Oh, and he helped build race cars for Rick Hendrick during the time when Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon were at their peaks. So Charlie's been around, he's seen a lot, he also loves racing history, which is why we love following him on Twitter, at WrenchTwister00, always putting out great content there. But Charlie has an interesting story about Leroy Yarbrough. Charlie met Leroy years after he was done racing in NASCAR, when Charlie was a teenager. But I'll let him tell you the story.
2: Oh, my God. I, 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 when I right? went home with my father's there a week ago, I had a picture the last time I saw Leroy Yarbrough. It was 1976 at the Daytona 500. I was in the infield with my dad and we were parked up against the fence over turn three. And toward the end of the race, this guy come mosey on over there and, and just start talking to me. He says, uh, you know, we're just talking. And he says, you know who I am, you recognize me? I, I'm looking at him and saying, yeah, maybe, you know, and I, and I was a kid back then, I was only 16, right? I'm looking and I knew drivers, I knew race car drivers. I said, yeah, I said, I think I know you. He goes, well, who do you think I am? And I said, "Um, you Leroy Yarbrough? Yep. Here's a guy that won, you know, the Daytona 500, and his life went sideways, big, big time, like like overnight, you know? But he was just standing there, and I felt sorry for the poor guy, you know? We gave him a drink, and, you know, I gave him a soda or something. But, And I had a picture of he and I, and I, my mother passed away, and she had all the pictures. And when I went to see my father about a week ago, trying to find that picture because, he looked like him, but he didn't like look like him, and he you know, just looked like a you know just looked like a you know out of shape old guy. Life was really hard on him, you know you know he was long since not having raced, and he seemed like you know like if you ask if he asked Do you know who I am you know he's almost like he's like a loose cannon. You know what I mean? Was he intimidating kind of when you're standing by him? Yeah, well he was nice to me, but but uh, because I was a kid, you know. I knew a lot about racing then and and history and drivers and stuff like that. You know, I mean he'd come up to the fence, you know, and we got talking. And my dad was standing on the roof of our car back then, you know, it's like right. races. He said, You you don't know who I am? And I said, Well, I think I know who you are. you know, but he kept on pushing me like, like, Oh, well, who am I then? you know, and I said, Uh you Leroy Arborough And I knew enough about Leroy Arborough to hold a good conversation with him, you know what I mean? He seemed he seemed okay. I mean, he he liked to talk, he liked to talk about himself, but I think the poor guy was like trying to relive relive his life you know but i'll never forget it. i got i said do you mind if i get a picture with you i got his autograph too and i can't find that but i'll never forget it i'm saying to myself you know here's is, this is Leroy roy arbor you know what i mean i mean you know as a kid growing up i, I could tell you every indianapolis 500 winner at one time i could tell you from like 1911 all the way through through the 80s I, mean, I could i could tell you who won what kind of car they had and and stuff like that you know but i knew definitely who you know he ran in indianapolis because i mean i always thought it was cool where you know, Kyle Yarbrough ran some Indy cars, and Leroy ran Indy cars, and the Allison brothers ran Indy cars. And, you know, some of the NASCAR stock car guys were were, 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 doing that. You know, but Leroy Yarbrough, man, I mean, you know, he was badass fast. You know, and, and like I said, he wouldn't take no shit for nobody.
0: Did have you heard the story about Bill France?
2: Yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, Is, like, have um, you
0: heard that from other
2: people? That did, I did hear that from other people, and he. uh and I heard this from from different people. I, I really did. I mean, I I know it's out there. But, you know, like guys like the, the big-name drivers wouldn't do it. And I guess uh, uh, Bill France got in a race car and went around a track, and uh, Leroy told him, that's bullshit. You ain't going fast enough. You know, and, and, and not to change subject a little bit, but it's a shame that, that you can't go to somebody today and say, hey, man, what, what, what do you think of Leroy Yarborough? Like, who?
0: Well, that's why we're talking about Leroy Yarborough on this podcast, and that's why we want to tell the whole story, not just the part that was good. Leroy had a lot of ups. And next week on the podcast, you're going to hear about Leroy Yarbrough's downs. And sadly, you'll hear about how the rest of his life went. It's a complicated legacy, but I think it's a story worth telling. That's all coming up next week on Stagger. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Stagger Podcast so you never miss an episode. You never miss some of the content that we're putting out there. We'll see you next week right here on Stagger.